Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man whose nuts are guns, guns, guns. I am the Adam Glass, and the P is stored in the guns. I am I am guns from from toe to tip. <laughs> Specifically nut-shaped guns that are yes. Russian. It's a very confusing cosmology here, but yeah. Russian walnut guns yep. all the way. I do deeply appreciate this movie's... Uh, insistence on making the old guard uh look like idiots yeah just insufferable so. morons it's it's a fascinating yeah. thing because this movie is like we're gonna get into it is deeply deeply pro yeah but like very propaganda it's just all propaganda there, all, there is bottom to top but boy it sure thinks the old people are dumb as shit just yeah. a bunch of dumb old yeah. codgers yeah uh, there are uh, conflicting forces in the background of this I movie can imagine. That we'll get into. I can imagine. Yeah. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to bonus content. Whoa! Yeah? I was really excited. I really into this. I'm glad you were really excited. We do a non-criterion film over there every month. Our supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch, and we watch a, a good collection of movies over there. Some stuff that probably should be in the Criterion Collection, some stuff that eventually will be if if it hasn't already been added to the Criterion Collection, and some stuff that probably no one should ever think about again. Uh, yeah, it's about so, you know, basically, basically exactly what is in the Criterion yeah, Collection exactly. already. Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, really good movies, really bad movies. If we movies do I'm this long enough and we get a rights management arm to a company that doesn't exist, our company that doesn't exist, yeah. we could yeah. start our own collection straight up. Yeah. You know what? There is one There is one criterion form that we haven't gotten into the bonus episodes yet, and that is I'm, 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 movies... I'm, a movie I'm glad I watched, but I could not recommend that anyone else watch. And I'm thinking like Antichrist, Salo. Yeah, those are those are the sorts of movies we haven't put onto one of our right. We haven't. Yet. We've not probably, put any torture probably movies for the on best. There. I mean, huh? I, it'll happen eventually on accident, probably. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, Maybe we should do a list that's just Antichrist. God, I can't. No, we just torture ourselves. Like, here's the thing. See which, I am happy. See which one the supporters want us to watch. Right. I am happy again. that the Criterion Collection made me watch those movies in the grand scheme yeah. of things. Like taking yeah. your medicine or like, like going to school or whatever, right? right. But uh, yeah. flip side, Don't ever watch I can never again. make anybody. Yeah. I can't make myself do that. The right. premise of this podcast yeah. is what made me watch those movies. I don't want uh, I don't want to make anyone watch those movies, least of all myself. So, <laughs> to be fair, I I so, consider yeah. if you I understand that they are core to the plot and the way the movie works. Antichrist is a weird one in the sense that like I find the movie itself functionally quite watchable. It's just the gross yeah. bits. Saul, on the other hand, comes at it from the opposite direction. It is very much premised on things that I find wholly unpalatable. So it's kind of like. Uh-huh. 
it's an even harder recommend in that way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, um, yeah. So we still watch a lot of good movies on the in the uh, in the bonus list, and we have a lot of fun over there. One dollar gets you access to that vote and to the entire back catalog, and we are so grateful to all our one dollar supports. But we do have a couple tiers above that. At five dollars, we like to thank those folks on air. Thank you so much to our five dollar supporters. Eric Coronado, Chris Otto, Andrew Jarrett, and Stephen Goldbar. A little above that, at $10 and above, our highest tier, we do something pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little personalized thank you note, and mail that off each month. We also like to thank those $10 and above supporters on air. Thank you so much to Nina Bajnak, Tracy McGrath, Adam Speakerman, Jason Westhaver, and Patrick Yako, our $10 and above supporters. Thank you. If you want to check out those postcards without committing to that $10 mark, you can head over to redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criterion there, and our account will pop up. You can see the past postcards, peruse them, check out Pat's art. You can also purchase them if you wanted, as greeting cards, as uh, postcards, as stickers, as magnets, and a couple other things, depending on what the art felt like it worked for when I was uh, setting each one up individually. Thank you to everybody who has purchased anything off that Redbubble account. Thank you to everybody who supported us on Patreon over the years. But most of all, thank you for listening. Thank you so much. Pat, this week we're talking about The Four Feathers from 1939. Uh, It is directed by Zoltan Korda, uh, produced by his brother Alex, and... uh, Production design, uh, like like the last Sultan Korda movie we watched, um, is also done by the third Korda brother, who is Vincent. I couldn't remember his name. I had to look it up. Yeah, you were um, stalling for time. I could tell, but it's okay. It reads well yeah. on the on the podcast. Uh, absolutely. Um, and production design by Vincent Korda. So the three Korda brothers have worked together a lot. We've seen... Zoltan Korda direct once before, mm-hmm. and that was Sanders of the River, um, one of the movies in the Paul Robeson box set. We've seen another movie that the Kordas produced okay. with The Thief of Baghdad from- uh, I don't remember that one. Sounds familiar, but- It was Spine, Spine 431. Um, that one, most notable in that one- uh, a thing we loved, uh, starred Cebu, um, and there was a really great bit. Um, that's the one with the flying horse. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, I kind of remember that. And the and the giant ge- the giant genie. Yeah, okay. Um, a lot yeah. of really great effects in that movie. Yeah. Um. So that was that was a quarter production, um, but the four feathers is directed by Zoltan. Um, like Sanders of the River was, and produced by Alexander, and we'll get we'll get sort of right into it since it was in your introduction. Alexander, there, there were the three brothers were all born in Hungary, mm. and they moved to the UK, uh, and they were all pretty grateful to live in the UK. So David Corda, who is Zoltan's oldest son. Okay. Has a bonus feature that gets into this in part. He talks a lot of, a, a lot of things. It's a 25 minutes long interview with him talking about his dad and his uncles. Um but he points out 
uh, in that interview that Alexander Korda responded to moving to Britain uh, by becoming sort of a British zealot. Uh, and had an impulse in a lot of his productions that was in praise of the British political economy. Uh-huh. Um, at a time where <laughs> praising the British political economy was not, it was not the best thing one could do. Right, right, right. Um, and we see that impulse here in the film in a lot of ways. However, balanced against that, our director, Zoltan Korda, who uh, David presents as a socialist, as someone who is very interested in the plight of indigenous peoples, mm. uh, particularly in Africa and India, um, of uh, colonized peoples, particularly in Africa and India. Um So, so that's why we end up with a film that is what just essentially pro colonialist. Yeah, a film that <laughs> um, is pro empire. A film that is, but uh, somewhat schizophrenic. If we're being honest, like yeah, yeah, but but has a lot of smaller details that that are subtler and and anti uh, in equal measure. Um, Sanders of the River was probably. One of the low points of the Paul Robeson box set. Yes, for sure. Uh, That's definitely true. Well, and Robeson's reaction to what happened, like right, like yeah. it, the the whole, like the big takeaway from that movie is like he was he made a he made a movie that yeah. was meant to be very liberatory and very like right, and and it was edited into just more sort yes. of colonial propaganda, right? Right, like and. And to be fair to uh, to the Cordas, Zoltan made a movie with Paul Robeson that they were both happy with. Right, right. That they were both on board with. Right. Uh, and it got hacked to pieces, right, and, by the studio, basically. And it got hacked to pieces by the studio, by the censors, uh, feeling that it was too anti-Empire in its original production. And Robeson ended up walking out of the premiere. Um, and Corda did not... Doesn't uh, Zoltan Korda does not seem to have liked <laughs> what? Yeah, what no, yeah, either, yeah, right. So, so yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Zoltan has this liberatory uh, impulse. I will say he's probably not perfect at it in himself. No, no, but um, like David, that's that's David. Go ahead. Yeah. No one is. Yeah, and that's certainly uh, harder also, to do the further back in time you go, right? Yeah. Um, David Corda also uh, mentions that his father had a view of gender roles that was essentially the point of a wife is to take care of the household and the kids. Right. Uh, and uh, he would go out in the evenings to socialize and and leave the family at home um which is uh unfortunately a classic uh male sort right. <laughs> european male socialist impulse uh perhaps just male social male leftist I think, impulse yeah. because it's a classic male impulse period yeah um yeah but it is it is 
it is something, you know, as we have said on the podcast before, and plenty of people have said, uh, who were directly quoting at this point, uh, I, I can't even think of, but uh, if you want to start a revolution, do the dishes. Uh, your, uh, your at-home dismantling of uh, social hierarchy is important as a basis for right, yeah. your liberatory practices in the world. Um, but yeah, so, so Zotan had those, uh, had those impulses and Alexander, uh, who is the money man, right. uh, had the exact opposite that were diametrically opposed. <laughs> and that is why we get a film that is, as you said, pretty schizophrenic. I mean, it is, it is at its core pro colonial propaganda. Like, it's it's yeah. schizophrenic in the sort of um, the fringes, right? In the outer edges, that that yeah. like you've got lots of bumbling fools, uh, not just among the old guard, but also among like um, you know even within the the ranks, right? There's a lot of like right. There's right. a lot of not very flattering representations of of various officers and non officers, which sort of points out like is sort of like in a different movie would be part of the constructive narrative about colonialism right yeah but here is sort of an aside to it because the core story is very pro colonialism yeah pro empire it is 1939 yeah. so it's very easy to see where this is coming from like it's not hard to sort out like right i right, right. you know it is is in line with the other propaganda of the period that we we've seen right. some of. Britain is gearing up to World War Two movies uh, made during the war, which all exhibit a very particular uh, set of ideologies right. that Pat and I don't appreciate. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's, I mean, 1939, right? Uh, man, my history is not. We're early, we're early but we're we not too early. Yeah. The war was declared on right. Germany in September of 1939. Right. I don't know what you, yeah. uh, what day this came out, but like even prior to that, right? You had a split in sort of how to handle Germany, but like you're right on the cusp of the split being sort of over. Right. Um, now, I will say this is a boys' adventure film, right? If this is. This is pro-war propaganda in as much as, hey, isn't it exciting to go and fight and, and defend your friends Well, your I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> like, no, what I'm okay. saying is, like, it is, it is first and foremost pro-colonial empire, right? It is. Right, yes. And, yes, and, and yes, the, will, the nature yes. of colonial empire is it must be maintained by force. Uh, and yeah. it is pro that force, right? Because the story yeah. revolves around an idea that somebody refusing to participate in that system must by nature be a coward. Yeah. And that that's a damning thing to say, right? Like, especially time period and stuff. And you are, you are basically making a movie that says, if you do not volunteer for the British Armed Forces to fight the Nazis, you are a coward. There can be no other conceivable reasons right everything and, any and other while, reason you make is an excuse you're just a coward right right uh 
yes, Harry gets to verbalize some pretty good excuses. Right. But those are absolutely undermined by the fact that he himself considers himself a coward, and the plot of the movie is about him overcoming that right, redeeming cowardice himself. impulse. Right. Now, mind you, it's based on a himself. book that was written during the colonial empire, and yeah. it's also about that same thing. Like, It's important to understand that like, on a core level, there's... There's this is a continuous project, right? There's no those two things are the same thing, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, we we've talked about it before. Uh, I have my own views about what World War II actually is in a, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. with regards to the the nature of fascism and 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 empire, right? Yeah. Like, I it. We come back to the fact that, like, in the end, it is about preserving empire, right? It is about maintaining right. empire, and you have to go fight in colonial wars to maintain empire. It is It is interesting that this movie slightly changes the time frame of the novel. Okay. So, uh, the movie starts out with... I guess I don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to recap the whole movie. <laughs> I did. Well, I did. I did too much research into the uh, political history of the Sudan. Okay. Right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I know. Yeah, you sent me some messages that, that, that I don't really... necessarily want to get into. That I don't necessarily want to get wholly into. But I think it is important, given that we've we've spent the last three weeks uh, <laughs> with a movie uh, ostensibly about. Uh, Palestine, right? Um, the the only mo- the only the only only pro Palestine movie to never mention Palestine, no, <laughs> right? Um, it is it is important to point out also that we are now dealing with a movie uh, about colonialism in Sudan, and the uh, the after effects of colonialism are are still very much being felt in Sudan, a country currently in uh, its third civil war in just 20 years yeah. basically yeah uh in a, if 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 one can subdivide those conflicts into separate right. entities right. to begin with um there are millions of people displaced internally in Sudan uh right now and uh after a government after a coup in 2021 uh they have been Slowly, maybe attempting to transition back to democracy, but uh, what the paramilitary force that had uh, aligned with the government um, during Darfur 20 years ago is now back and is fighting the government. Right. Uh, is the the very cursory. Uh, understanding of what Sudan is having, what is happening in Sudan right now. What is happening in Sudan in the movie is that um, the quick and dirty version is that in the early 19th century, uh, Egypt was a province of the Ottoman Empire. The ruler of Egypt um, decided he should be more important than he was, declared himself the Khedive. tried to modernize and over the course of a couple generations of that dynasty attempted to uh, 
modernize Egypt, uh, but in their mind, modernizing Egypt was Europeanizing Egypt. Right. So by the time we get to the 1880s that we're talking about, we have uh, Ismail Pasha, the then Khedive of Egypt, declaring, my country is no longer an African country, it is a European country. Um. Ishmael also gets into massive amounts of debt, in part by uh, starting his own colonialist war in Ethiopia. Um, his grandfather, the first Khedive, had uh, conquered Sudan um, in, a, in the same sort of imperialist uh, mode. Um, and that's not to say that one needs to be a, a leader or a country needs to be emulating Europe in order to be imperialist, but but they we were, do um, see a, a pattern yeah. in the in the especially in the eighteen hundreds of countries yeah. that wish to establish themselves as peers with the the European imperialist colonial right. nations, trying to do imperial like colonial imperialism. It's right. it's just that thing you see so, like Japan goes to a very similar stage, right? Like that's how right, we get right, eventually right. get to World War II, uh, at least the Pacific yeah. realm of it is right. an attempt to emulate you're you're sort of like left in this world where like, well there's clearly a, a hierarchy of nations here. I'd rather be on the top of it than the bottom of it. Right. Yeah. So while while Egypt was still ostensibly part of the Ottoman Empire, financially uh, the British and the French were in charge. Uh, Ishmael also racked up a whole bunch of money for being a partier. Mm -hmm. uh, he was he was basically forced to abdicate by the British. His son took over. Ishmael lived the rest of his life in house arrest in a palace, and he is said to have died attempting to shotgun two bottles of champagne simultaneously. Okay. Uh, cool. <laughs> what a guy. Yeah. Um, his son... His son Tufik, Tufik took over uh, around the time of, of where our film is taking place. Tufik really didn't want to be in charge and was more than happy to let uh, all his British advisors essentially run the country. Right. Um, meantime, in Sudan, um, around 1881, uh, while Ishmael is still in charge uh, in Egypt and ostensibly in charge of Sudan, uh a Islamic uh, revolutionary named Muhammad Ahmad uh, pops up, unifies the Sudanese tribes, and throws off British rule, Egyptian rule, ostensibly, but British rule. Um, this leads to the death of uh, uh, Charles Gordon, who is mentioned in the opening sequence of this film. Right. The guy who dies off screen at Khartoum. Um, Gordon himself uh, had been put in place as the governor of Sudan by Ismail Pasha, and Pasha, but with with the uh, British government saying, "Hey, why don't why don't you why don't you put that guy in charge?" Right, um, and he's got his own sordid uh, history. Uh, he joined the army and made it to China uh, right at the end of the Second Opium Wars and is on record as expressing disappointment in missing them. Uh, and then was in charge of the British forces during the Taipei Revolution that killed 20 million people in Taipei. Uh, <sighs> so, yeah. 
um, which which earned him the nickname Chinese Gordon. Yeah, saw that. Uh, I I feel like I feel like we're behind the bastards right now, and I don't want to do that. But no, I, think I mean, history is well, important. that's the problem, right? Is that when you get um, into like yeah. when you get into yeah. colonial like empire, like it's 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 all bastards all the way down, right? It's just it's a continuous <laughs> right, right, right. onslaught of bastards. We're not going to talk about yeah. anybody that is a that is good, right? So. So there is about a 10-year period where Muhammad Ahmad is in charge in Sudan. Uh, he actually dies in 1885, but his, uh, his followers continue to be in charge in Sudan. Um, and also around 1885, Britain puts pressure on Egypt to say, hey, why don't you just let the Sudan go? However, British forces are still active in Sudan, and that's one of the changes from the book. In the book, all of this takes place in the same places post-Gordon, but it takes place very shortly post-Gordon. The movie, the movie waits 10, 15 years. The book waits four. Uh, so it still takes place in western Sudan, but is uh, taking place in the early 18 or the, the, the mid-1880s. Why? Um, why the change? I want, like specifically. Do you think? Well, what's what's happening in eighteen ninety five? Uh, what we see in the movie is that the uh, the situation in Sudan uh, has become untenable for the British, basically. Right. Uh, under the guise of freeing the oppressed people of Sudan, Britain has decided to retake it. Okay. And classic. That gives they, they pulled a, a classic. Sort of, we call that, yeah. Yeah. That gives a sort of nobility to the fight that is not just... Gotcha. So it's Britain, in order the British to enhance army still the... still being in right, Sudan in, after they ostensibly said, right. <laughs> we're done. Right. It's It enhances the propaganda value by... By making it a noble war right. rather than just pure bald faced colonialism, which is what yeah. the the war they did on behalf of Egypt, right? Right. Gotcha. Right. So yeah. Uh and as we see in the film, the British succeed in this campaign, Khartoum falls, they retake it, uh, and essentially establish well, they established what is ostensibly a joint British-Egyptian rule of Sudan, uh, but the British provide all of the money and the vast majority of the administrators, and also they're basically in charge of Egypt at the time. Right. It's interesting. Like I was just looking through uh, like the Mahdist War, like um, Wikipedia. Yeah. It's also worth noting, like the thing about the fact that like probably their main interest is the fact that like. Egypt was starting to fail to complete the Suez Canal. Yes. Because yes. that's 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 yeah. that's basically the whole the whole shoot match right there. Right. You need, right. You need to get so, yeah. that done. Um so 1898 the British end up in charge of Sudan and they hold on to that until the establishment of the first Sudanese uh republic in 1956. Of course. Uh, so, well, so that was which, the interesting thing I wanted to bring up as part of part and parcel of this conversation. The thing I find most yeah. interesting, 
We have watched other British war propaganda uh, of yeah. this kind. We have not. This is not our first war propaganda that specifically focuses on the colonial empire, right? It, it's not even. Yeah. It's certainly not the only one I've seen, even outside of of the podcast, right? Um, right. And the thing about them is, they have it. I find them very fascinating because they 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 predate they they the pre or during the war. Mm-hmm. And they you they aggrandize the colonial empire as a way to draw people into the current fight, right? Into World War Two, uh, and to and to bolster that. But it's I find it fascinating to use. I find it fascinating because of, of the nature of hindsight, right? We have hindsight; they don't, right? To use yeah. a thing that would crumble completely almost immediately after the war, as a result right. of the war, as a as a um. As a way to bolster the war, right? Like this thing that, that that is used as propaganda to get the their young men into the fight is a thing that ceases to exist by nature of the fight they get in. Crumbles completely immediately yeah. post war. I just find that in I I don't know that I find that that there's so there's a there's a deep sort of like cosmic irony to that entire sort of thing, right? Now, of course, we could talk about you know neo-colonialism things like the fact that this is like i mean the the pure sort of imperial colonial state collapses uh right post-war it's like you sold the the war world war ii was sold in many ways using a thing that that it causes to cease to exist it's interesting yeah yeah um I think it is also important to point out that the current state of Sudan, while while it, Sudan has essentially been unstable since the British left and calling what was happening stability while the British were in power is uh is gives too much credit to the Well British, and certainly. also is is a is uh, a very like <laughs> sort of an, an output of the fact that like we can't help sort of to a certain extent the things that were innatured into us as young men and Right. Our youth about right. like yeah. what we call or do not call stability, right? Like, even if it was right. yeah. air quotes completely stable, yeah, it's still colonial rule, right? It's still entirely yeah. subjugation in order to like feed an empire, right? Like, right. it's that's not really stability, yeah. really. Um, certainly, the more recent conflicts in Sudan have been religious. Or, or divided upon religious lines, Christian and Christian and Muslim. Um, certainly, the fights we are talking about in this film are religious. It is uh, an explicitly Islamic state uh, unifying Sudan against Christian British power. Uh, but it's also important that while Egypt's conquering of Sudan led to an influx of British missionaries. Sudan has a millennia and a half at the very least history of Christianity. Right. Uh so it's not it's not like um uh, and its history of Islam is you know basically as old too. Right. So um, you know uh it's I think one of the things that uh, neo-colonialism is so good at is uh, fomenting those sorts of fights 
to in order to destabilize a a region. Uh, Not to say that without colonialism, the Christians and the uh, Muslims in the Sudan would be living in peaceful harmony. I don't know that that's not. Well, we also just don't true. know, right? Like that's but, the, the hypotheticals of history are irrelevant, know. right? Like we right. don't, we don't know right. because we we can't know, right? Like who knows what really, yeah. like, like and and religious and and colonial activity going so hand in hand with it's, yeah. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. So um, one thing I love about this movie, love love in sort of air quotes there. I think this movie, uh, we definitely get words from Harry that are critiques of the idea of the white man's burden as well, right? Mm. Um, Very explicit. But also, again, balanced against the fact that all of Harry's opinions in Act 1 are are basically (laughs) presented as excuses for his cowardice by the time we get to Act 2, right? Right. Um, for go ahead. Sorry, I, I'm just thinking. Zoltan Korda, Zoltan Korda, at the very least, is pretty intent on showing that the people of Sudan, uh, were in a bad situation, no matter who was in charge. The right, British right. have have a noble racism against them. They aren't. They aren't openly uh, as brutal as the uh, right. But that's its own propaganda, right? Like we are. We are right, the civilized right, right. conquerors rather than the than these yeah. these barbarians yeah. that like right, are clearly right. monsters, right? Yeah. I mean, like we end up with the the, yeah, Khali- the like the Khalifa or whatever being like just a wild yeah. man, like manix, like cackling asshat, right? right? Like that's just what he is, right? That is. Right, that is where, where this real uh, without the context from David Corda talking about his father or uh, the Criterion essay, which gets into some of this as well. Without the context that Zoltan himself had that liberatory impulse. Um, I think there's a pretty easy read of this movie that says the Khalifa is more evil. Yeah, than no, I mean the British. Here's what I'm gonna say: is like I think like all that context is here. How do I like this is gonna get really like all that kind of that context to a certain extent amounts to just pure like hot air, right? Because the movie we actually get in practice is. Yeah is that with just like I said just the very fringe edges have these weird like these kind of like out of place and weird kind of like nods to what maybe Zoltan actually believed or thought right. but like what you what you fundamentally have is the thing you're describing like at its core it is right. pro imperial colonial propaganda we're freeing these people from this madman they're savages anyway, so who the fuck cares anyway? We're just noble for doing it. Right. That's that's the message, right? Like we're 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 that is at its very core, the fundamental message of the movie is like 
aren't we great because we're going to free these savages from their from their horrible oppressor who is uh right just working them you know is just working them to death and like tortures them all the time and and they're not even part of the same people like there's a very clear sort of idea of this sort of like fundamental distinction between the conqueror and the like it's right well they're not the real sudanese people these are the you know it's like this whole like it's just it is just that i mean like yes it has we we have this context for zoltan and like that's i'm i it makes me not hate him but i could still hate his movie right like right, you know what i mean like right. because like whether it's his fault or not like i you know it allows me to separate author and 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 uh, work a little bit better but in the end, like this is just a garbage movie. Like this is just absolute. Like, I, I this may be the movie I hate more than any movie we've ever watched, Adam. I'm not <laughs> even joking. Like I don't, I don't like I do. on the best of occasions. I don't like movies like this. I had, right, to, I've right. watched a lot of them in I my do. life because I used to watch the History Channel and AMC and those yeah. play, and they play. They love these historical epics that are all pro empire propaganda right right i just yeah. hate them i hate um, these movies i do have a note i do have a note in my on my initial viewing i think i was only like halfway through that uh this is a movie about characters i don't care about having conflicts i don't care oh about. yeah 100 <laughs> uh About a guy saving his friends in a world that would be markedly better if him and all of his friends actually had died. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Like, or just just mind their own fucking business and don't go anywhere near it. Right? Like, either way, I'll take either. You know, I mean, like, yeah. yeah. Also, just don't be there. Uh, like, right. The thing about it is, is that like, I you I did not know anything about this movie. Like, I did not read the Wikipedia page. I just watched it straight through. I convinced myself I was only going to watch an hour. Uh. When I sat down last night and then watched the rest of this morning, like today, somehow I made yeah. it all the way through because all those long battle scenes take up such large chunks of time that you don't notice the two hours have happened because there's really not even that much dialogue in this fucking movie. Um, yeah. Which I guess is in its favor in many ways. Uh, it is replaced with right. battle scenes, which are not in its favor, but, you know, nonetheless. Um, they do pass Not the totally time. Not replaced with battle scenes, but yeah, but they pass the time, right? Like there are on. there are pretty yeah. large. They're they're clearly going for some Lawrence of Arabia and uh, various other yeah. British. Um, this is epic, sort of like this is battle decades, scenes, right? Decades before Lawrence. I of am Arabia, aware of that, but like, way. but um, it's not years. But it's not decades before some of the other films that are in this genre of right, of right, large right. sweeping battle scenes, especially once you've got Technicolor and you can like fucking just make these right. really grandiose um, scenes. Full of red uniforms. Quick aside, though, one of the one of the cinematographers on this film was the second unit director for Lawrence. Yeah, Arabia. I mean, it's it, uh, there is there is an influence, but it, it goes that way. And, and I know, I know, so, I, anyway. I am well aware of yeah. when Lawrence of Arabia was filmed. Like my yeah. point, I'm trying to make is this kind of British like war epic loves its battle scenes, yeah. and the goal is always right, to, right. how big can you make your battle scene? Like how many right. bodies can you get into it? Um, right. You know, it, it culminates yeah. with like 
I forget what that movie is that gets like the entire fucking Russian army to be in the movie so that they can like have <laughs> enough bodies. I forget. I think it was the Russian army. Yep. I'm pretty sure, but I can't remember anymore. Um, but basically yep. same idea, right? Like these sweeping epics where you have to have these huge battles with as many human bodies as you can put in them. Um, right. Because you want to tell people what battles really, really looks like, right? Um, yeah. And while while part of the point of the uh, middle battle in this film where John is blind, part of the point of that is that uh, his superiors saw his entire unit as completely expendable, mm-hmm. and then they all died uh, except for our three friends. Right. Um, they were completely murdered. We see all of their bodies strewn across the desert um, with the bodies of, of the army that m- killed them as well. Uh, and, you know, it is it is senseless. They were uh, sent to die. Um, Nominally, they're sent to get chased right. and get away, right? Yeah. They were they they're were sent to the body. slaughter, but like it is, uh, it is that sort of yeah. like. Well, if you get lucky right. and you escape, right. isn't that amazing? Um, no, that is part of part of the original plot of the book. Is is that battle? Not necessarily that battle particularly, but a battle akin to that battle, um, where a small force of British maintaining their square, their uh, rectangle of soldiers shooting outward. Um, which was uh, thought to be uh, impenetrable mm. by by the Arab soldiers, basically. Um, uh, the fall of the British Square is part of the tragedy of the Four Feathers, the book. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, so there is in showing the desolation post battle. I think at least one of the Cordas is trying to make an anti-war point. Yeah, I mean... However... Go ahead. The the fact that it's... And showing... Again, uh, you know, you talked about the big sweeping scenes being battle, but they're not all battle. But I do think, in this particular instance, with all the battles... With all the dead strewn and just the vastness of the desert or the army marching in its thin line through the vastness of the desert, there is an implication and... Uh, uh, Michael Strago gets into this in his essay a little bit too, but there's an implication of just how how much the British don't belong here, right? Right. In sort of a black narcissist sort of way, right? Um, which was ultimately this country is so foreign to us that <laughs> that we don't belong here, right? Um, which was its own sort of racism, too, right? We and, talked about, yeah, and. My, my, like I get the argument, and I and I and I agree with like, especially knowing what we know about Zoltan. But I I also think yeah. that 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 might, to a certain extent, be a sort of retro, you know, act on our part because those yeah. those things, yes, like and we talked about this all the way back in I think episode one of the podcast. Um, the 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 problem is is that like those things can be so easily read from either direction. And knowing right, the right. heart of the director is just not not enough, right? Like, yeah. like, if, like, yes, that that can look very foreign and like you don't belong here. Flip side is this shining beacon of light in the center of a wilderness. Those are the same. Those are fair. opposite yeah. reads of the exact same image. 
And we get yeah. the pot and like the desolation of war has the same thing, right? Like, uh, this is a senseless tragedy can also be understand. Look at all these brave men and who died here right. to to further the needs and of the of the British Empire. Yeah. Yeah. And like look now, how I many don't... look how many savages they took with them is also a part of that. I would like to point out I'm using that right, word right, primarily right, right. to emphasize how disgusting this movie makes me feel. I I do not like that word, but it yeah. is apt in this situation. Yeah. Um I'm pretty sure that the old man's story about uh the Battle of Balakaba is an addition for the movie. Maybe, yeah. Right. And it's meant to it is meant to see show him as a blowhard. I mean, and I think that's the closest um, the movie actually gets to critique. Yeah. Like, real critique. But and the problem Harry's, is it's such an aside Harry, in the end of it. Yeah. And Harry's final line, it is the final line, right? He he gets the last word on that. And his final critique of that guy's story is to say, subtextually at least, there is no bravery. There is no cowardice. You weren't a war hero. Your, your horse got spooked. Right, right, and, and uh, like, yeah, it, it's good. It like it lends credence to the arguments, and like yeah, anybody who's going to do like critique of the like real analysis of the movie would probably might come away with that with the sort of solution like being yeah. like, well, it, it's of course somebody was anti-war in, in the in the whole right. thing, um, like at the same time, right? It also comes like it could also be read as like, I'm a real hero, you're just full of shit. Like I'm the real hero here, right? Like kind of like it, I, I don't know. It's I know it's not necessarily fair to be like hyper contrarian with the movie in that way, but like yeah. I think the point about the point primarily being that like this movie is fundamentally war propaganda, and it cannot really, yeah. in all earnest, be read in any other way. Like you can read little bits and pieces here and there as being against it. But they all work in concert with the war propaganda to highlight certain elements, right? Harry's never foolish. Like once he goes to his like transformation, right? He's never the fool. Right. Other people right. are, but so like it, when you pair up a a sort of hero with fools, it just ends up serving to highlight the hero rather than doing uh -huh. the main point, which is like, well, maybe Zoltan's original idea is to be like. Well, look at all these blowhards who are full of shit. Like the sergeant, their sergeant right. at arms is like a dumbass. They're sent off to death right. by a, by a commander who doesn't care. There's and he, they're even, all dumbass. They're even, all idiots. Like yeah, right. Even John is a dumbass too. Right. John is is the guy who thinks, uh, you know, he loses to the weather. Right, right, right. And absolutely. Can. And this is all, like, right. if that was all that was in the movie, if you took a sort of, like, more detached perspective on this and there was no hero and it's just a bunch of fucking dumbasses in a place where they don't belong doing shit they shouldn't be doing. But, but as yeah. soon as you put a hero, a shining beacon there, mind right. you, who is fighting on their side, you've, un you've upended right. all of your points. Because now there is a right. good person, quote unquote, doing good things in this place, and his fight is fundamentally yeah. good because he is the hero. 
He's seemingly, like, once he has his turnaround, he's not a coward anymore. Bearing in mind that as we started, that's the primary argument that the movie makes about anybody who doesn't want to go to the war is they're a coward. And right. everything else is an excuse. Yeah, but all the but all the people who say that are shown to be idiots. So, Except for one, uh, who is our main character. Right, right. And Except also the hero the of the movie. He, he also says, yeah. I was a coward. I was just making excuses. Right. If he never did, and he went out of like legitimate moral obligation, like it, the movie, you could make this movie whole cloth almost, almost entirely the same, tweaking just slightly the way that he behaves. And you could actually get the movie Zoltan wanted, probably. Which is, yeah, like, what I, I mean think... is, like, he could go there with the exclusive goal of, like, I have to get my dumbass friends out of this place. Right. And and if you, you just but play I... it slightly different, and, like, it's, like, a begrudging moral, like, obligation to rescue his dumbass friends. And, like, right. to show them that they're dumb. Yeah, you got a different movie. Yeah, but I think what this movie, one thing this movie does, and that version of it would still do, is, uh, would do more so, is point out that that sense of fraternal obligation, even from people who can accurately critique the Empire, that fraternal obligation, that class obligation, right, would still be there. Right, you would still, you would still have. I would say that that movie would be better. It wouldn't be a good movie. Yeah. You would just have a movie that is fundamentally yeah. more interesting because right. our our hero does not learn the lesson that is like fundamentally pro empire. Right, he right. he is still absolutely engaged in sort of like class class solidarity, the same sort of fraternal behaviors that lead you to fucking taking over countries like <laughs> right, right for right. sure all of it's there all the sort of the hallmarks of empire are still there you just have this person adamantly refuse to learn that lesson right like it just changes it enough that it, the movie goes from being kind of unwatchable garbage to yeah like and I, of course i don't think the movie movie like the actual technical aspects of the movie are unwatchable garbage but like i'm always going to focus on the sort of social elements of the movie and they are abysmal yeah. like i don't like a single person in this movie right right and of course with the with the prison escape and the taking of cartoon from the inside uh the various arab and sudanese prisoners uh require a white man to leave oh yeah them, i know the white the savior narrative, narrative once you get into the prison is but, in, is intense yeah. But they are still shown to be brave people taking up arms against their oppressors. Yeah, um, yeah. Although we don't see in, very much in of order, them. in order, right? In order to hand their land to another set of oppressors, yes. But uh, and and, and they, yeah, they I mean, it's all there. It, they the, help free themselves. But the the problem is is, is that like every settler colonial project has that as an element, right? Some, right? Some minority group or some group within the country is co their struggle is co-opted by the colonial power who's just helping right. them out who's just supporting their 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 f desire for freedom or what like it still fits into the the, the core narratives of of empire right like you like america right. does it all the time well we're not like taking over we're just helping these oppressed peoples be free right um it, it's 
Yeah. And we do see them fight, but like a lot of movies that have this propaganda do have quote unquote natives fighting alongside their <laughs> colonial oppressors, right? Like it's just it's all these movies have it all the time, right? Like it's um it like I don't know. The thing is just like we see these three dudes in the prison basically do all the important things. Yeah. Nobody does anything the closest you get is Pasha like being like a translator. Right? Is the closest thing to a person right. doing a thing that is not like like on an individual scale, right? Like we see groups of people running, but that that sort of sort of dehumanization, de like like turning them into a group rather than individuals is Yeah. Noble in some regards in other movies. In this movie it is a way to make sure that none of them stand out. Right, right, right. Uh, to ensure that there are no heroes but the white heroes. Uh, yeah. And again, I don't think necessarily Zoltan's doing this on purpose, but like when you combine the source material with what the kind of movie that they are looking to make here, you're just going to get that result, right? Like you're never going to be able to get a different result unless you go f- fucking hog wild with it. If you pull a fucking like. I'm trying to think of a movie, like, I guess maybe, like, Kubrick or something with uh, Dr. Strangelove or something, where you just go, like, where you just, like, go absolutely ape shit and, like, just ignore completely whatever, like, you're supposed to be doing. Yep. Um, and then we wouldn't see that movie, because that movie would have been destroyed almost instantly. <laughs> like, the negatives would have been burned, and we never would have seen that movie anyway. Uh, yep. Or it would have been turned into this through editing anyway, uh, which maybe it did. I don't know. Maybe Zoltan shot that movie, and then they just edited it to death. I don't know. Uh, I mean, probably not. Well, I mean, Sanders um, of the River, theoretically, they both right. were happy with that movie, with right? Like, they were yeah. both happy with that movie. Right. If, if right. Robeson was happy with that movie, that says a thing about what that product looked like when it went out the right. door. Right. And it says a thing about what Zoltan is capable of. Right, right? absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, switching gears a little bit, the technicolor aspects, the 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 stuff that reminds you of Lawrence of Arabia in this well, movie. Well, and all the technicolor movies. As far as the way it's like shot. That, yeah. is, uh, it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Particularly the shots around the Nile. And we are filming on location in the Sudan. Um, and, uh, obviously we are also filming in Sudan while the British are still in yeah, charge yeah, of Sudan. Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, but the, the, there is, there is a moment where Harry has got John on the boat and they're in the Nile and, uh, it's sunrise, and it is one of the most beautiful, just images of Technicolor right. uh, that I can think yeah, of. Yeah, there's right a there's now. a lot of really uh, good they, when they are playing with the light when it's like sunrise or sunset yeah. when they're not having to do day for night, which is kind of when the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. Like not in like a fully way, but right. like it doesn't look good during day for night because you're just fucking turning everything blue, and it, it's not flattering to the environment in that way. Right, um, right. I was also surprised. I was surprised to learn uh, in 
reading over Wikipedia after I watched the movie that the uh, the battle scene where the entire regiment dies, except for John and and the other two getting captured, uh, was meant to be a nighttime battle. Uh, oh shit! <laughs> lit, lit by the lit by the fires of the burning uh, the burning uh, brush wall that they built. Yeah, not successful. Um, um, no, <laughs> yeah. Well, in general, uh, I would say that like the least one of the least successful technically pers- from a technical perspective is the day night transition that the movie goes through. It like they they fail to render night day for night very well a lot of times. So you do end up with right. a lot of nighttime that doesn't look very nighttimey. Um, right, it, time becomes an issue in this movie. Keeping track of time in this movie is challenging in some ways. The movie does yeah. not. It, it uses title cards to do it from time to time. They help reestablish, right. but once you're away from the title card for a few minutes, you're starting to lose coherence on how much time has passed, where you are. Yeah, like what's particularly when we're dealing with consecutive days, yeah. and it's not it is not lit in a way that makes it clear that a night has passed. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you could tell me that like Harry pulls off all this stuff in two days or like like the title cards are the only thing that tell me it's not two days right like it's just there's just no and like that's a that is a technical failure of a movie that looks really good um it is a a nice sort of technicolor feast in that way uh beautiful but classic like point of camera to beautiful thing and lo and behold you've got beautiful you got beautiful film um, but but it is is quite like con- I I do find some of the I think, the shots quite arresting, like when they're hauling yeah. the boats up the river, the work like they they linger on the the people who are like right. pressed into service to do that for yeah. quite a long time. It's probably the most liberatory actual like footage in the film. It's just how like there's a man striking whips. There's there's a very sort of of course, that is anti. That is that is part of the propaganda package because right. that's not that the is, British doing that. That is that is the Khalifa. That is the Khalifa. Yeah. yeah. So it is still part of the package, but it is still an arresting image, right? It lingers on that for a very long time. Right. Uh, yeah. And 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 is visually quite engaging, right? You you it, it is ruined by the presence of our main character in many ways. <laughs> he is. A sore thumb in many ways. He sticks out. He's his his brown face is bad, even by brown face standpoint for standards, and and is and he is so I don't know annoyingly conspicuous in it. At least he is pretending to be Arab and not Sudanese. I guess is is the one redeeming factor, right? Of, yes, yeah. The only disguise. yeah, slightly better, like the slightly better thing. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just like, but like. Those arresting images, because they need to constantly remind you where he is on the line, are often yeah. ruined, right? Right. Um, so. But, yes, very, very beautiful. Like, watching the ships as they go up and down the river is, is yeah, it's very, beautiful. It's very visually and, arresting. And the shots, the shots of the desert, where mm-hmm. we get the subtle coloration of the sand, uh, is, is one, you know, a little pushback. I generally agree. Every time you've ever said, "Point the camera at a beautiful thing," it's beautiful. Uh, but there is an aspect to the technical oh, of ability course, of, of shooting 
that sand so that it doesn't just show up as white. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, I, I am yeah. always there's an element of facetiousness in that because as a person that yeah. owns a camera and sucks at using it. Uh, right, I right, do understand right, right. that I can point yes. a camera at beautiful things and get shit shots. I understand that. I, I'm just. It's sort of like a sort of. It's almost a sort of jealousy in it as well. But like, but it, my point being is that like it's always hard to divide the line, divide the level, the the credit between the environment and the and the and the art artist, right? Like it's like right. some of it is is the natural wonder of the place, right? Makes it all the more engaging, right? Um, but I do think I the, the the desert shots are at times extremely pretty, um, yeah. And I and I would say do show off like the the capabilities of Technicolor in a lot of ways that are really like wow, like that's amazing looking. This is the third adaptation of the Four Feathers, um, possibly the fourth even. Uh, yes, it is in fact the fourth adaptation of Four Feathers that had been made by the time this came out in 1939. Uh, you know, there's one in 1915, one in 1921, one in 1929. Uh, there were three more after this. Of uh, course. This or, is your, your class. Uh, this is doing your yeah. classic, like, we're going to keep making this movie until the cows come yeah. home. Sort of films, um, right? And that doesn't include stories that are sort of just adjacent to the four feathers. You know, you're saving private rides. No. Yeah. I, I kept well, thinking I, I kept thinking about saving private Ryan while I was watching this. It has like yeah. it's like, oh, this is it is a little bit kind of proto yep. saving private Ryan. Yeah. Um Cordis Four Feathers is praised as being the most book accurate. Um despite what we've already talked about right. being a change there is a slight change in time frame. Uh the 2002 Four Feathers starring Heath Ledger, mm-hmm. um, which makes a, a lot of significant changes, uh, particularly, I think, to uh, even to 2002, uh, somebody recognized some of the inherent uh, not-so-great <laughs> racism bits um, in, in, uh, in what Harry does for right. his disguise. One of the things that the 2002 movie gets... Uh, dragged for is anachronisms, particularly in the uniforms of the British leaders. Uh, here's the thing about an, an, a pretty big anachronism in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Laurie plays the Khalifa. Uh-huh. And he's credited as Khalifa Abdullah. And looking at him and looking at pictures, he is definitely meant to be... Uh, I don't know. He he's meant to look like Muhammad, uh, Muhammad Ahmad. He does not look like the guy in charge of Sudan at the time, uh, Abdullahi, uh, who ostensibly he shares the name, draws the name from, Abdullah. Uh, he looks like he's made to look like Muhammad Ahmad, who died ten years before this movie takes place. Right. So, like, uh, you know, I, I suppose there is the aspect of Ahmad had a sort of, uh, 
I suppose, uh, stereotypical swarminess to him. Uh, whereas uh, his replacement sort of has a kinder face, uh-huh. <laughs> I think, just looking at, looking at the pictures of them. Um, so, so maybe that was the choice, just to make him more stereotypically evil Arab. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a bad guy's got to yeah, look like more, a bad guy, right? Is the is the notion, right? Right, right, right. Just I don't know. That feels like a pretty big anachronism to have the long, wrong person in charge. Yeah. But they again, they they he's he's named Abdullah, so ostensibly he is meant to be Abdullahi, despite the fact that as a character he does not look like his costuming does not make him look like Abdullahi. Um. Uh, but yeah. Uh. But it being praised as the most accurate to the book, um, despite the fact that, I mean, any, I think it's safe to say, I've never read The Four Feathers, but given its popularity in British culture and the fact that it was written in 1902, I think it is probably safe to say that the book version of The Four Feathers does not have any of the subtle critique of empire or, or, yeah. uh, liberatory <laughs> impulse. No, this, I'm sure it doesn't. Movie has. Yeah. I mean, it is, uh, it is probably, I, I dare say it is probably some, it is probably way worse. Um, yeah. Yeah. I do. I do think Harry is a silly character in that, uh, he is presented as this dandy coward, even from childhood. His father was afraid of this. Uh, he loves poetry. He's reading. He's reading. Uh, uh, Who is he reading? Percy Shelley okay, of all yeah, people. Okay, that's it. Is yeah, was like, is what his dad says. What remember. his dad says. Like extra dismissive of it being a Shelley poem that he's reading. Uh, and somehow, I wonder what the kid's doing with himself because he doesn't like the army stuff. But by the time he's an adult, he speaks no language but English and doesn't even think to maybe put on an accent to talk to his blind friend when he's the only one. Right, yeah, he doesn't even like pull up, like uh, he doesn't even pull up a, um, yeah. what's his name in Batman, right? Like he doesn't, uh, yeah, he doesn't just even, lower your voice. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, Peter, yeah. it's me. It's uh, just your, like nothing, <laughs> just nothing at all. Just, just, but yeah. also like, he continues to do like I'm I am deeply, deeply yeah. like fucking annoyed. Like one of the things that gets to me is like okay. So background on the on the thing like he's meant to be part of this tribe that that yeah. rebelled against Khalifa and was like had their tongues removed, right? Brandon yeah. had their tongues removed. At no point does that imply that they also become air quotes dumb. But he's playing right, deaf right, right. and okay. I do not like saying these phrases, but it is very much what he is doing as an acting thing. Yes, is deaf and he, dumb, quote unquote. Right, right? like, um, right. There's and no need for that. By the time, like, that's not that's not necessary. It's just like yeah. the whole point is that the tongue is removed. He can't. The person can't talk because their tongue was removed. They didn't. Right. Also, get kicked in the head by a mule. Right. Like right. that's right. not a fundamental like part, but it's core to his costume. Because I think somehow the audience in the needs it. I don't. 
it's very and like he continues to put on that act even when he's dealing with his blind friend for some it's very like what is what are you doing here like like it's like oh well this is comedic effect the movie the audience is going to think this is hilarious so we're just going to have him do this kind of all the time yeah i, I or something I that, like that i don't know it really like i don't understand there is i feel like that that amicable head tilt is a common arab stereotype in a lot of british is films. it i didn't know that I, yeah okay I don't. But he's like, I don't know that. He's all. But he's very like clearly it's... playing dumb, right? Though, like, like in a very literal sense, he's acting like he's stupid, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Okay. Like, I'm not like yeah. I'm not I'm not cr- going crazy here, right? Like, he's acting and, and like is... he is like like. Yeah, that he doesn't understand anything. I not like from like I don't know. It's just right. very. Also, like the disguise is he weird is not... because the implication that you can't possibly understand the language, just because you can't right. speak it, like, huh? Right. I pres- you know I would assume yeah, that he's... the people of this group do understand the language, even if they can't verbalize it. He's. He's super lucky everyone just assumes he's a British spy from the get-go because they speak English to him until they discover that he can't. Right, right. <laughs> that he's meant to be <laughs> not British. Uh, yeah. So so everyone speaks British to him, and then he can, he can point at his forehead uh, to say, no, I don't, I, I can't talk. <laughs> and you know I can't talk because there's a... A J on my head. Yeah. Um, I did like the the scene of him being branded. I don't like the the actor playing the Egyptian doctor. Uh, yeah, is just yeah one of one of the low points of the movie. Well, uh, he's but, he's uh, one he's one <laughs> of he's one of many many dudes who yeah. are like I don't know. It's it's that classic feel like not you know. Early nineteen, listen, early nineteen hundreds, film thing of like even, we've got to have this white guy dress up and pretend to be from India even, or something. Even Sanders of the River had an African American playing a black African. Uh, uh, yeah, same thing. There is exactly the same thing as a guy yeah. named Henry Oscar pretending to be Indian. <laughs> Exactly as the a same Scottish thing. Scottish actor playing the Khalifa as yeah. <laughs> exactly same same. I look at these no, two things. Bad. I can't tell the difference. They're the same. They look the same right. to me. Absolutely. Uh, boy, howdy Absolutely. was Henry Oscar in a lot of movies. The guy who played the he doctor. Sure yeah. I just clicked on no, his Wikipedia, those, and yeah. my lord, that is a lot of movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that uh, yeah, uh, they are making this on location, and and this was true in Sanders. Uh, quite a bit too um that they're filming this on location but only using locals as extras uh is a little annoying but also common for the time and this is part i will say it is it is par for the course but disappointing like it every time it happens it is no less disappointing than it happens right it is what we are we are accustomed to it but we are accustomed to a thing that is disappointing and bad yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it is, um, yeah, it's just, 
it is just that we've gotten used to it, but like it doesn't change the fact that like there was there's no reason. For, I mean, there's a very clear reason for it, but I mean, there's no there's no justice in it. There's it's it's it is what we have grown cut, like used to. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, like. You know, classics are a situation like you want to have these big battles, you want to have these big revolt scenes, you're going to have to hire a lot of extras. So there are going to be a lot of locals in your movie, but none of them are going to say a fucking word. Right, right, right. Uh, and and if they do, you're going to translate it as native speaking or something to that effect or like uh. Yeah, you're gonna get a subtitle that just says, and that's I'm watching with that I'm watching with um right, right like right. the 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 original theater version of course did not even say that, but like even my the version I'm watching t- just has native war cries and shit like that. Like it's just okay, right? I mean, this person's clearly saying something, but you know. right, yeah. Uh- <laughs> And I my my version of justice from now on is we go and hunt down all of their their descendants and we give them royalties on this fucking movie because they fucking talked <laughs> in this goddamn movie. Probably should be, yeah, yeah. Is, that is a speaking role in this fucking film. Goddamn it! Nobody knows. <laughs> we'll never. No one will. You know, it's 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 not acknowledged, but it is. Just spend the rest of my my life until I die trolling British and American like film for like that, and just spending way too much time researching trying to like get everybody royalty checks. Just like so, I'm just gonna spend the rest of my life doing. Damn it! But yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah. I find it interesting uh, that we. Do you think Criterion did this on? I know they didn't, but do you think they did it on purpose that this this and our previous box set feature Sudan as like a the, the Sudan is like a core component of and Khartoum specifically as a core component of the story yeah I don't know I don't know they were they just decided to be on a, a Sudan kick um is the, I mean, does the next movie have would, anything to do with Sudan that's what I'm asking no ah no, damn no, almost certainly damn it. Not. no shit the next movie the next movie is a Japanese uh ghost story you so never know I don't think you uh, never know <laughs> You never know. I think it's unlikely. Yeah. Uh, but it could happen. Uh, McWorld. Uh, Weirdly this enough, this Japanese was... ghost movie was filmed on location in the, in Sudan. I don't really... <laughs> who, some, who odd, uh, some odd choices were made, but it's what happened. A very brief flirtation between of uh, of like the the yeah. Sudan and the Japanese film industry just like doing a couple brief collaborations for like a few years. It's sort of out of nowhere. Oh, that, that sounds right. beautiful. So this movie was nominated for uh, what was what was then uh, the highest <laughs> prize yeah, at yeah. the Venice Film uh-huh, Festival. Uh-huh. Uh, which uh was called the Mussolini Cup. Yeah, it was. Um, obviously Mussolini in charge of the country. I've I've heard. Yeah, uh, it's, 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 so they yeah. say. So they say. Um, interestingly enough, 
So there's there's two Mussolini cups. There's one for best Italian picture and best foreign picture. Right. Um, the uh, it didn't win. I don't know what year it was nominated for. Whether it was thirty nine or forty, because um, I don't have that list in front of me. Um, but uh, <laughs> unsurprisingly, it's great. Uh, but interesting the that Mussolini this would get cup. nominated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in nineteen thirty nine, there is no award given from, but from nineteen thirty eight to nineteen forty two, which was the last year, <laughs> the the award was called. The can't, can't imagine why. Yeah. Yeah. Um. From thirty eight to forty two, only German films won. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine how foreign, that happened. Foreign film Mussolini Cup. Yeah, which obviously makes sense. Um, but do you think this movie was nominated because someone on the nomination board saw something in this movie that they connected with? Yeah, it's or, it's, it's pro uh, it's pro it's pro imperial colonialism. It is pro imperialism. Like, bear in mind that like. One of the main, like the driving forces behind uh, Italy in yeah. the war, is like ma- is maintaining and expanding a colonial empire. It doesn't work out great for them, uh, right. but nonetheless. My my other question would be: Is it possible that uh, this was a very popular movie, possibly the most popular movie in Britain that year? Mm-hmm. So maybe under the understanding that, well, of course the German movie is going to win, they just populated the rest of the list with whatever whatever movies they had heard of out of any individual European maybe. country over that like, year. I, I think they probably, I think, I'm going to give them credit and say they are actively choosing um, films that support their imperial project on like a core level, right? Yeah. Because you're not... You're, you haven't even declared war on, like, the UK and Germany are fighting. It it's Italy's involvement is still kind of there. You get into colonial crashes, clashes in 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 northern Africa and stuff, right? But like, you know what I mean? Like, I can see a world where like, well, we haven't really, I you know, and I don't know enough about history, and I don't want to. Um, where you could like, well, maybe like we're not, maybe we all want the same thing, <laughs> you know, sort of. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I got distracted by the fact that um, the w- movie that wins it for the Italian film in 1942 is just called Benghazi. Um, yes, and I can't. Yes. And as an, a modern American, my brain, I have, I have really specific associations with the term and 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 the actual. Uh, it portray like the film portrays the Allied atrocities in Benghazi, Italiana, which is just Italian Benghazi. I don't know my brain. Yeah. Like I, I can't, I can't let go of the fact that that the, the film that won in nineteen forty two before it was disbanded as a as a prize uh, is called Benghazi. I'm sorry, I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't yeah, stop thinking out. about it. That John Krasinski movie, Thirteen Hours, mm-hmm. uh, is actually a remake. It's, it's oh really? It's not about yeah, it's, the a, it's about Allied atrocities in uh, yeah, yeah against yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> against Allied atrocities against the Italian <laughs> occupying forces in, in yeah. Libya. Yeah, yeah. Of course, de- the uh, the rich and the Italians. Um, 
I think, formally declare war on one another in 1940. Yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, I could. So see... that could be another reason that right. <laughs> that this movie maybe gets nominated before the war is declared. That's what I'm then, saying. Is basically then... like this up until you come into direct like conflict, right? So 1941, like you know, yeah. for example, that Benghazi film is is about the occupation of Libya, Benghazi by yeah. by British forces, despite the fact that Libya belongs to Italy. That's in heavy air quotes. Yeah. And uh, Italian inhabitants of Benghazi work to resist the British and discover their military plans. It's you can see that once those two empires come into conflict in 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 Africa, right? They're right. going to have to declare war on yeah. each other, right? But like up until then, well, we're just co-owners of various parts of Africa, basically, right? Like, right, right, right. We, right. we have the yeah. same imperial project in mind. Yeah, and uh. Zoltan Korda had won uh, an award at the Venice Film Festival in 1937. Well, there you go. Um, so, you know, he would have been on their radar, too. Uh, he won a Best Director Award for Elephant Boy, um, which is uh, it's a pretty interesting movie. I will never watch it, and I never want to watch it. Okay, good. Um, so it, it, it stars Cebu. Um and uh, it's actually his film debut uh, in 37. Uh, but I mentioned to you this last week. Uh, Elephant Boy is a joint directorial between Zoltan Korda and Robert J. Flaherty, who shot documentary right. footage of India yes, for it. Yeah. Flaherty, Flaherty being the guy who uh, shot the very first documentary we saw as part of the <laughs> also in heavy collection. air quotes <coughs> nanook, of, nanook the of the north yes yeah so so they they won an award together um from from the uh italian government uh the venice film festival from from the fascists yeah for, i mean you're telling Florida. me the nanook of the north director uh, never mind i'm not even gonna accuse him of it but like <laughs> I do. I do not at all doubt that Robert J. Flaherty had uh, had uh, uh, less than savory. Yeah, less than uh, less than yes, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I, at some point, I read a bunch of stuff about him for for at, yeah. in school, but I don't remember any of it. So whatever. Yeah, I don't. I, don't I can make assumptions when you made if you made Nanook of the North. I can make yeah. assumptions about you in general. Right. Nana, generally speaking, Nanook of the North was, was enough for me to not want to learn anything else yeah. about the guy. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. The Four Feathers is, like I said, it's a, it's a beautiful film. Uh, it really captures its location well. Uh, the... Uh, not just the emptiness of the desert, but the the beauty of the Nile, of the Sudanese Nile, and and yeah, uh, I will say it's editing in of stock footage of animals, mm-hmm. uh, even if shot for the film, uh, never really works. No, I mean uh, there are ones <laughs> that are better than others, right? Because you can tell they're using extremely yeah. long range lenses to get those shots um right right they work right. fairly well yes. when that's the only thing on screen but they do a super imposition thing where they put 
bodies yeah. in front of the stock footage. And that that's when right. it really falls apart. The stock footage otherwise, I'm like, I can accept that. I can just, you know, I can deal with it. But when they do like, well, this is the footage we shot with the good lens on the good camera for this film. And then here's the footage we shot yeah. of the vultures or whatever from like fucking right. across the plains with our television or we bought it yeah. in a stock footage house that doesn't match. Right. That's a, that, that weird juxtaposition is uncomfortable. Right. It does not look good. When they do the rear product projection to try and make it look like the vultures are eating the bodies yeah. of the fallen. Uh, it does not work. No. Um, I like seeing birds I in think... the air in film though. So I like when they're flying around and stuff, I find that I, I like my, one of my favorite scenes is probably like, I don't know why, but like when he stumbles through the brush and all the birds fly up, yeah, I think that just I that shot is fucking blew my mind because yeah, it's really like great. I don't know if they planted the birds or the birds are just there, but it looks it's really great. Right, it works really well. Yeah, um, the other stock footage, uh, the uh, the hippos, I think might only exist as a nod and misdirection. To the real four feathers heads in the in the audience. Okay. Uh, apparently, one of the earlier versions of the film, the climax was uh, Harry escaping across the river, and the uh, the Arabs chasing him were attacked by hippo. Okay. Uh, and killed. Because hippo are, uh, are the mo- like one of the most dangerous right. mammals on earth. Yeah, incredibly, incredibly territorial animals who will who will kill you without thinking about it. Um, which I find to be the scariest thing. Any animal that can that can kill me without thinking about it, <laughs> not not out of malice, just could. Well, could, but maybe out of malice because they're also it. quite territorial, right? Well, like, you know, yes, get yes. the With fuck the out of my town. It is out of malice. Asshole. With the hippopotamus, it is out of malice. That is true. Uh, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they are also big enough that anything. they could conceivably also kill you without malice, which is yeah. just like yeah. I accidentally right. killed you. Um, yeah. But I, I find what I find most anyway. terrifying about them is the fact that, like, unlike sharks, they also fucking hate boats, and we're yes. trying to fuck yes. up boats. I find that amazing <laughs> and also terrifying. It's like because right. you're kind of used to like, you know, we all understand that that jaws and stuff like that is a is is a false narrative about sharks. They will not just like try to capsize and kill the boat and the people on it. But the fact that there is an, there is a mammal wandering around is like, fuck you in your boat. I'm going to kill you and it, uh, is fascinating and also scary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so we get a little shot of them, uh, in the river, and and for a moment, I thought the movie was going to do it. I thought the movie was going to have the hip- and I, and I was thinking, how is this movie going to recover either of these characters if Harry and John are in a reed boat, uh, <laughs> presumably, yeah, yeah. Um, some sort of Moses reference at that too, no doubt. Uh, but uh, but this boat made of reeds and attacked by hippos. Uh, but no, they did not attack. Uh, instead, it. It exists as sort of a, a night of the hunter flavor as they travel down the river right. at night and yeah. the hippos happen to be there. Um, 
Oh, right. Yeah. I forgot. Yes, then, there, there are river scenes at night. Again, our, our night for day <laughs> fails us pretty miserably. Right, you know, right, right. Times. Yes, because it is right after the hippos that we get the uh, the spectacular sunrise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and again, it is an incredibly spectacular sunrise. Yeah, very beautiful. Uh, like, yeah. like visually and, a treat, but like... I, oh. And the... The isolation of John on the rocks when he drops his helmet. Um, now, of course, way, he looks like a, a dumb fuck. So it's this isolation on yeah. the rocks while we're also watching a Three Stooges uh, skit. Like it's right, right, right. Kind right. of a. I think, I think John's the guy who plays John. What's his name? Uh, I don't know. I think his Harry. His Wait, acting what? Really? generally never. No, sorry, I, I misread. Sorry, I I no. I read John right. Clements as Ralph. Harry, and like it it warped my yeah. brain. No, like my brain could it. not. Yes, yeah. My da- my brain no longer could process John, what's going on. John is played by Ralph Richardson, yeah. and I think generally speaking, Ralph Richardson <sighs> tries in the latter half of the movie, particularly when they're back in Britain, to give a nuanced and sympathetic portrayal. Yeah, of a I would say person freshly blinded. That. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that he succeeds. No, but I think I, he is trying. Oh, let's say this. Uh, I will go out on a limb and say there's no good acting in this movie. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, particularly particularly Ralph in the desert is is bad. But uh, I will still uh, still say the way it's shot. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I feel like yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah, no, absolutely. It's meant to convey a sort of sense of like yeah. desperation, isolation. It just because it's so goofy, and I think it, I think it succeeds, except that he's goofy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, there's there's a better acted version of that scene that like fully pulls it off. Now, mind you, later on we get him again three stooging his way out of the out of the tent, and I don't know if like. Yes. It's like I don't I don't think they're trying to like do it as a joke per se. Like they just don't know how to like convey yeah, helplessness and like and 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 like right. suddenly like but, losing the ability to like they just can't pull it off. They don't know what to do basically. But he is also meant to be silly in this situation right. because his pride won't let him admit right, that he's Right, right, absolutely. Right. It, it, that's definitely true. And there's this kind of like, there's a discussion of pride in letting it, in like having it stand in your way and stuff throughout the film. Yeah. It's just, it can't make up its mind entirely because much of what Harry does is pride. It, it's based right. on pride. It's like it can't be branded a coward. And it's so it's like right. it's it wants to admonish and also, but and also like laud the same thing. There's the good pride of wanting to be a real man after you've uh, been branded a coward, and there's the bad pride of pretending like you've always been a real man. I guess right. <laughs> I, I guess so. I I have I have to admire the the most sort of insightful thing about that the movie makes about him is him out there shouting the orders for the men that he can't see. And yeah. I was like, yeah, well that's, uh, that's basically just military tactics right there. That's just exactly right, how right, that works. Right. Um, there's, there's blind, no fundamental difference to how, how this would have gone with or without him, frankly. Yeah. Blind and delusional yelling at dead men. Uh, yeah. I think that's probably a commentary. Uh, but wait, Yes, unfortunately, you drown your commentary in things that are not commentary. You kind of like, 
gets yeah. lost, right? Like, I agree. There are scenes all right. over the movie like that. It's just they're completely overwhelmed, right? Uh, and they and yeah. they're decontextualized, basically. Um, any any one of them is an interesting idea around which a better movie could make a lot of commentary. And this movie's just not meant to. It can't do it. It's not got the nothing's there for it, right? Like so, you're like it's yeah, totally. It's just mm, oh well, like kind of a shame in many ways, right? Like I I'm not. You, you can like it's beautiful, so you're like, and like I'm sure that you s- described this. We're pretty sure it's a very popular movie. I can see why. Like, it's a visual, visually exciting. The story is not in any way um, offensive to your senses if it's 1939 and you're yeah. an, ad- an active uh, right, right, right. supporter of the Brit. If you're an active supporter of the British Empire and it's 1939, this is like right. all everything. Everything's good and, and great here. This is beautiful. It's perfect. Um, right. Um, I also appreciate that uh, Jack is shown to change. Right. Jack. Jack recognizes once he once he realizes that Harry is the one who rescued him. That Harry is alive. Uh, he one immediately puts into motion a plan to step back. And let Harry have his wife back. Um, but also, as he's learning to read Braille, we get him in that in that penultimate scene, um, reading Shakespeare, and not not one of the history plays, not one of the plays that that might might play into a <laughs> might also be British, commentary on. And do we deserve? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's reading The Tempest, right? Uh, so, you know, it's it's an interesting choice because that is an addition to the movie too, right? That is that is a Zoltan thing, I think, probably. Uh, wanting, you know, the particular lines, the clouds, the clouds me thought would open and show riches ready to drop upon me that when I waked, I cried to dream again. You know, it's... It's about regret and escape from uh, reality, too, right? You know, right. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting choice, nonetheless, right? Right. Uh, yeah. So, you know, like like we consistently said, there are, there are interesting choices here that hint at something bubbling below the surface that the... Uh, the main line of a film of the film can't do one Alexander Corda wouldn't let it do to the British censor class would not. Have yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of reasons, right? That's, it's like, you gotta be, you, yeah. you know, it, and like source material is not really well suited to it. Right. Like, again, right, it, right, like right. we talked about, unless yeah. you go full fucking like Dr. Strange love on or something, you're going to have yeah. to like, you're going to have to fuck it up so hard that like, it's going to be right. You know, it's never going to see the light of day. Um, like it is, um, because like I was thinking about the fact that like, um, you know, we have this, you know, we, we get a lot of like really fascinating lines that are delivered in ways that are meant obviously by Zoltan to be like commentary. I was thinking about like, uh, um, which one is it? Who's the old annoying 
man, which general <laughs> is it? I lose track of the old man um, who like comments about uh, John's blindness. And it's like, well, that's he knew the risks. Like, you know, you don't have to marry him. Yeah. He knew the risks when he signed up. Like, that's, it's all uh, part of the game. And like, you, you know, you go out there and you get blinded. It's like part of how it works. Yeah, like, that's, you know, it's that's. That's Ethne and Peter's dad. Right, yeah. Uh, it's it's so it's yeah. so callous and, and gross. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same guy who's telling the, the Russia story. Right, yeah. I, I knew um, it was the same. I just lose... A lot of those kind of like those yeah. characters just sort of blended into being just sort of like one right. sort of malot, the, mass of that character. Particularly, particularly in the opening scene, uh, all of the old men... Uh, are meant to look the same. Yeah, yeah, it was for sure. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so, and then you're later on like, well, we've established these characters. I'm like, you have? Right. Like, I, yeah. this is one of three possible old men. Like, right. Well, well, the good news is one of them's dead and one of them's kind. So you can't Well, the kind, well, and also saying. notably, the one who is kind is the only one who looks different. Who right. has a, yes. di- like, the, the other two could be fucking twins. Yeah, um, that is actually that is actually another thing. The opening sequence we didn't talk about yet. Uh, the uh, having Harry named Fav- Faversham here, which I think is a change from the novel as well. I could be wrong on that. I don't think Harry's name is is Faversham. Um, nope, I'm wrong. It is Faversham in the original. It's Feversham in the original, actually, uh, not Faber. Well, because uh, he was so going. There's, there's clearly this author was going for a Dickensian thing, where like, oh, he's the the fever. Sham. Well, well, that's yeah, the fever shame. Yeah, yeah uh, with hair. That's that's interesting. But uh, I was actually going to bring up Dickens because Faversham makes it sound more like Haversham. Yes. The. Yeah. Uh, uh, Oh, what's the name of that book? I just great expectations. Great expectations, yeah. Um, and after dinner, as Harry's on his way to bed as a child, with the candle being haunted by the portraits of his military uh, ancestors. Yeah, it has a very great expectationsy um, sort of vibe. It's it, a very yeah. great expectationsy vibe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, <laughs> yes, fever sham. I guess is. Uh, or shame or whatever. I kind of I um, was imagining sort of a name. like um yeah. that's sort of like faking an illness to like sort of being akin to like the cowardice of like getting out or something. Yeah. 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 I think that makes sense. Yeah. So <laughs> we're going to find well, out yeah, the British pronunciation scene, but... of that word is completely different and we're just saying it wrong. <laughs> Profit. It's got to be feverishim. Feverishim Fev- but... or something I don't know. I can't. <laughs> uh it's not French. They're not going to distort it too much, but but there is. I don't know, uh, man. There are a lot of real fucked up British always, place names. That's true. That's true. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's either going to be uh, exactly okay. as written or so fucked up. You're like, none of those letters are in here. Those are your yeah. two options. Harry gets real lucky, and I guess we get lucky too, given given the length of the movie. Uh, that he he rescued John all alone, but then he gets to rescue uh, Tom and Peter together. Yeah, luck uh, of the draw, right? Um, just just saves a lot of time. 
I I am imagining a different world where he fails to rescue all three of them. He shows up and they've all died of whatever sort of this this dumb fucking thing, right? Uh, he shows up to to rescue John and like he's well, he's died of sunstroke. He's been out there a long yeah. time. He's dead. Um, which like it nearly ha- like the movie tries to like faint it like that could happen because it like. He keeps right, getting right, thwarted. Right. He gets hit over the head and all these things, right? Um, like he's lucky. He's like it's it's fascinating because they want to keep him in peril. Like they want to like emphasize the peril of it. But rather than going for a sort of psychological peril of like being an imposter, because they can't pull it off. The acting's not there. The storytelling's not there. They go with well, he's yeah. constantly getting hit over the head, um, right? The primary risk of when you're pretending to be something you're not in a foreign country where you don't speak the language or have any sort of even even knowledge of the country or anything, your primary risk is getting hit over the head. Right. No one will discover that he can't understand Arabic if he's never awake. Right, right. If he's constantly so. concussed. Oh, I I've totally misunderstood. That's he's not got that bewildered look on his face because He's pretending. He's just he's just acting concussed at all times yeah. in the movie because he's been recently go. hit over the head. Yeah. Within the That's last eight hours, he's he's got multiple compound concussions. His brains are scrambled eggs at this point. That's you know you complained about the the Stooges esque scenes of John in the tent. Um, what you fail to understand is that Harry's entire character arc is to show the real life ramifications of slapstick comedy. <laughs> right, 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 uh, right. It's like, do you know how many people suffered for those boards in the head? Yeah. What do you think happens totally. to a man when he steps on 26 rakes? Actually, one note on, on John in the tent, uh, him going, him coming out during the, uh, during the fight, is is especially comedic because you know he seemingly also has no memory of how his tent was set up, <laughs> right? When, or when even that, like the the this British square is not frankly that large, like yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but it was on his way into the tent where he casually walks into the lantern hanging. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing that the thing that gives off heat. Right, that you should uh, like. I I can see it. Like you know, you plow into things, right? Like I I walk through my bedroom at night quite often, and right, like despite my best efforts, things that should have been clear that I'm I've <laughs> like you're moving. Right. Well, human walking is basically controlled falling. Um, you're yeah. not nearly as agile as you think you are. Um, it's quite easy to to barrel into things that you even physically know are there. Like even can see. The number of yeah. times I trip on shit that I, for fact, know are there, uh, it's, it's reasonable. I, I do agree that, yes, if he's being careful because he's blind, he might not, like, be plowing ahead. But that's part of the hallmark of him is that he won't surrender his normal gait. He just keeps plowing yes. into shit. It's like, I feel like you would be extremely cautious, but part of wanting to, I guess, hide his, like, frailty is that he he refuses to walk like a person who doesn't it can't see um i don't know it's just part of that pride stuff right right um it's just there's a lot of 
There's just a lot of goofy acting in this movie. There really is. There's a lot of goofy acting in the rescue scenes. I the the acting in this movie is just like again we talked about the technical skill of the of the the actual like cinematography and stuff. Again, very beautiful. Um, there's lots of really arresting scenes that I thought I find really like lovely and and but like goddamn the acting in this movie is absolute dog shit. Nobody is convincingly who they are at all. I mean, it has yeah. the affect almost of stage acting in many ways, right? It it, it feels oh, yeah, yeah. it feels performancey. Like nobody is trying to be the character they are. They're all they might as well be performing Shakespeare on a stage. There's no Yeah. Like there's no faint towards the idea that they might be this person. Everybody is a caricature of a of a person. But not in a sort of like I right. don't think I don't think yes there we we talked about it possibly being commentary but also I think it's just like we're going for like British theater basically more than we are for like a, yeah. an actual film yeah yeah the uh, the Egyptian doctor or the I guess he is in he's supposed to be Indian but the doctor yeah. in Egypt yes the doctor in Egypt and I guess he's got to be Indian because he's got the Gandhi glasses. So well, he they specifically say he's they he worked with his no they do something they, in India yes. and there's like he's here now I don't know right um, the Indian doctor and the Khalifa particularly are pantomime characters yeah right they are absolute stereotypes in how they're presented uh, and being played by stage actors so yeah yeah I mean and it's uh, yeah of course it's worth noting that like in 1939 you're still dealing with a lot of stage actors who have gotten into movies because it's, it's business right you can okay works work right um but so like that that you you see that in a lot of british film for quite a long time is really like ham-fisted acting right like it's pretty common but like in an epic it feels it feels stranger more uncomfortable because you are making an epic you know what I mean? Like it, right. it, in in other films that are not in this specific genre, that hamminess is it reads better. But in because I like movies where there's there's a where with there are a lot of movies I love that have that hamminess as a specific feature that is wonderful. Um, but none of them are historical epics, and I yeah. think in many ways it ruins the historical epicness of the movie. In some ways, right? The acting plays into the fact that, like, it's hard to take the events of the film seriously because everybody's one step removed from vaudeville. Like, right? Like, they're when they like they're the whole scene in the prison was just like should have been gritty and like dark and like kind of like oh man, like uh, you know we we've gotta get out of here you know like and it doesn't it comes off more like a road movie <laughs> like i feel like i'm watching yeah. it's like like you know it's well that's that's the boy's adventure aspect yeah of, absolutely of absolutely of, it's of just it just sort of comes but like but when you combine that with technicolor and large sweeping shots at times the two just do not talk to each other you've got like right it's like it's like no road movie that I've ever seen where it's like, well, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have this wacky adventure, 
where a lot of people are going to die, mind you. This wacky adventure where just the death toll is massive. Um, now, mind you, a lot of the road, a lot of road movies do have implied death tolls, but they're, they're very rarely put on screen. Um, but like, um, you know, this is like this road movie with this wacky adventure combined with huge sweeping vistas of beautifully shot Sudanese countryside, combined with like, you know, whoop 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 whoop, whoop and like. <laughs> Like fucking, just like what's happening here? Well, these two parts of this movie do not talk to each other. They have nothing in common. Right, right, right. Yeah. What I'm saying is, I'm disappointed with the with the British public, and I think the only reason they like it because it was war propaganda. <laughs> show them yes. this. Mo- show- now, mind you, the British public has loved this kind of bullshit propaganda for so long that I don't think it matters when you show it to them <laughs> frankly any time will work because it's always going to get gobbled up I think this is this is a commentary in the UK right we are also guilty of it in the United States we love our yeah. we love and, we and love our war propaganda boy howdy do we love it right it just doesn't usually have bad stage Whatever acting the- in it <laughs> yeah I guess it, it really just Sticks with me that whatever uh, either of the Cordas were trying to say about the Empire, <laughs> they both failed. Um, well, I don't. I don't know that they both failed. I think Alexander succeeds more than. Oh yeah, than for Zoltan sure, does, for sure. Certainly. But I think combining it with the bad acting, but he 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 succeeded yeah. in 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 quotes. Yeah, I guess you know what it what it really comes down to me, and I, and I said this earlier. Um. Harry's devotion to his friends is uh, plays out. The impulse is good, but the actions actually necessary to, uh, that he has to take in order to stay true to his friends and have that that fraternity are imperialistic actions, right. and all of his critique of the empire falls flat. Because he is still needs to be the brave soldier who goes and kills a bunch of African Arabs. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fraternity um, requires the murder of of your colonial yeah. subjects. This is yeah. What are you gonna do? So yeah, and you know I appreciate everything I have been told about uh, Zoltan Korda. Um, about Zodan Korda's respect for uh, the oppressed peoples of Africa and India. Uh, I appreciate what I know about Sanders of the River. Right. Not the film we ended up with, but... What, yeah, uh, what it started off of it. as, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would like to have seen his version of this movie where he is solely in charge. Yeah, it would be I interesting. Think it could have been really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm afraid that if he were solely in charge here, uh, we would still end up with it would be a, a white savior story. I think I think we that, w- we uh, would. I think that but it would be a very different conversation. It would be talking probably yeah. probably more about its failings to accomplish 
yeah. what it ultimately his sort of high-minded ideals and goals rather than what we have here, which is mostly yeah. just talking about military propaganda, like, frankly. like Anyway, uh, to pull this to a close and come back around, the situation currently in Sudan is terrible. Hmm. Uh, and um, thousands have died and millions are displaced. Um, and <laughs> Western powers continue to be... Uh, very happy to exploit that entire situation. Well, and and and, I mean, one and the... created, and and the reality of the matter yeah. is, is that like we talked about cl- like classical imperial colonialism, like it's not dead or gone, yeah. right? It's just a new form right. that one. Well, one of the one of the holdups on the uh, the democratization process and and coming back from the coup is that one of the parties at the negotiation table, uh is a group led by the U.S., the U.K., the United Arab Emirates, and Saudi Arabia, in which the U.S. and the U.K. want to keep undue uh, Russian influence out of out of Sudan. <sighs> uh, and yeah, so it continues. It all continues. Uh, everything's dumb, uh, and at least it's also terrible. Wait, no, that's bad, too. Uh, yeah, you didn't make it better. Yeah. This week we've been talking about The Four Feathers, uh, directed by um, Sultan Korda, uh, produced by his brother Alexander from 1939. Uh, beautiful Technicolor film um, that uh, is schizophrenic in its politics, uh, but in interesting ways sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I don't ever <laughs> want to watch it again, but yeah. No, no, absolutely not. Um, next week, we'll be talking about Koroniko, The Black Cat, 1968 Japanese film directed by Kaneto Shindo. Uh, I think this is our second Shindo film? Um, it sounds I right. I, I, we, I have been waiting was. for this one for a very long time. Um, yeah. Like, I remember seeing this, like, oh, shoot, I forgot. You can't just look up Koroniko on on. On Japanese am on Japanese Google because you'll just get the shipping company. Um, that's a, that was a brain fart. Um, yeah, yeah. This oh, is like one Baba of the, was the last. This is one of those ones where like I've been like looking at it in the lineup for yeah a decade. Going, huh? Yeah. This will be really interesting when we get here. And right, here we right, are. Right. Yeah, yeah. Our last our last Shindo film was Onibaba, and that was. Uh, that was ten years ago, almost. No, it was closer to eight. But yes. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, Kurdanico is one of those ones that has a really, like, really captivating uh, Criterion image, like on the cover, yeah, and like grabbed my attention nearly the moment I saw it. And it's like, ah, oh, absolutely, I'm excited yeah. to get here. Um, and here we are. Yeah. Hopefully, it lives up to the Still ten excited. years of hype that I've given it on accident. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it will. Yeah. We're gonna be. I like. I love samurai uh, ghost I mean, stories. I don't like horror movies, but I love samurai like base yeah. ghost stories. They're always. Exciting. We really liked Onibaba. Yes, so yes, we did. I can't. I can't imagine we won't like this. Look forward to seeing it. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm as always the Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Oyatari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.
You've been listening to Lost in Criterion with co-hosts The Adam Glass and John Patrick Oitari Dorgan. With the collapse of Twitter, who knows what social media we might end up at. How about Blue Sky? That sounds great. Check out the official podcast account at lostincriterion.bsky.social. Jonathan Hape does our music, and you can check out more of his work at jonathan-hape.com or on any music streaming service. And you probably should. He's pretty good. A big thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. You can join their ranks at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. And hey, thank you for listening.